Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all listeners from around the world to Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thoughts about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. Today, I'll be speaking with an amazing corporate innovator. He's currently head of innovation at RETP Group, a state-owned public transport operator and maintainer headquartered in Paris, France. The RETP Group is the world's third largest public transport company, carrying 16 million people every day in 14 countries, 207 subsidiaries around the world. He has 15 years of experience in the public sector, including Ministry of Defense and French National Authority for Cybersecurity, as well as working in the private sector with brands like Orange and Trusted Logic on the topic of cybersecurity and digital transformation. Prior to joining RETP, he was the Chief Technology Officer of the state within the Interministerial Digital Department. After having worked with Secretary of State for Digital as an advisor in charge of Digital Trust and State Digital Transformation, I'm so happy to welcome Kaum Barbain, Head of Innovation at RATP Group. Now it's time to listen and learn. Hello, Kaum. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Hi, thanks for inviting me. So today I'll be spending time getting to know more about you, your work at RATP, and your thought on innovation in the mobility sector. To begin with, I would like you to share some fun fact with our listener. And also, are there any interesting facts about your career that are not on LinkedIn? Um, Yes, there is. Um, I dedicate a little bit of my time uh, in preparing the next generation of uh, scientists and French civil servants. Um, I teach a lot at the beginning of my career. I still do some teaching. Uh, I do less and less because of the uh, professional activity, but I try to maintain a little bit of teaching uh, in engineering school. uh, And I teach, uh, I have a lesson on autonomous mobility. Um, I also um, participate in the evaluation of the civil servants uh, of what we call the Institut National du Service Public, which is the institute that trained the future executive of on French states on digital and public transformation. And, um, you know, it's not really my main focus, but I think it's important to do that, to train the next generation so that they can directly have the best ideas that we have developed. And it's also very interesting to, you know, when you teach something, you always learn yourself. And I love that exercise. That's a great point. I I fully agree with you. When you teach something, you learn yourself. And actually, you need to prepare before teaching. Because in in today's world, the students are much smarter. So you get some of the smartest question from these young students, which force you to go back and learn. So thanks for sharing that. And and I really appreciate what you are doing, preparing the next generation and, and teaching them and sharing your knowledge, the practical experience from the world. Now, you did your master in computer science uh, at uh, Ecole Polytechnique, and later you did your PhD in cryptography from University of Paris and uh, Orange. Uh, after that, you started your career as a security expert in various government departments. You serve as a chief technology officer of state within interministerial digital department. And in 2019, I think you decided to join RATP as a head of innovation. So I'm curious to know why this uh, career move, because you were doing great uh, in, in the uh, public sector, you're working on some exciting project. 
what excites you to join RATP? And uh, what does your typical day look like at RATP? So, yeah, as you said, I, I spent almost 15 years in cybersecurity, digital transformation, uh, you know, starting from classical engineering stuff, research, codes, uh, making technical projects. Uh, and then uh, I evolved to uh, management, strategy, and politics. Um, and so I did a lot of things in this field of digital. And uh, at some point, my I was thinking I need to apply that to something, to something, to a sector um, that is involved in the, I think, what are the two big challenges of the time, the, the digital transformation and the climate change. And if you look at the existing sectors, uh, the mobility sector is, is exactly at the earth of these two challenges. The, the digital yeah. is making that move and change, and we see new forms of mobility every day. And in the same time, mobility is a huge part of the CO2 emissions we have today. And so it's a perfect place to um, try to change things and allow the society and people to have a cleaner way to, to move and, and the digital is one of the elements that can accelerate that. Um, and so I started to look at this mobility sector and then quite quickly, I, I found RATP, which is you know, a, a great choice. Uh, we have a long tradition of, of innovation uh, with the, the, the pneumatic metro, the, the first automatic metros, uh, with the, 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 the dematerialized tickets in the 90s. Uh, and uh, and we are of course very famous for Paris, but yeah, we're now in 700 cities in the globe. We are in London, we are in in Tuscany, in Casablanca, in Cairo, in Hong Kong, in Washington. We are everywhere in the world. So it's it's a great uh, place to work, and we clearly are at the center of this climate change and, and digital transformation. Um, a typical day. Um, well, it's it's. Uh, I'm not sure there's a typical day. Uh, typical days uh, look like a long series of helping people, uh, people from my teams uh, trying to solve a problem they have on the like last experimentation we're trying to uh, build or um, the innovation we are crafting. And this is all kinds of problems. It can be technical. It can be administrative. It can be in um, buying strategy or market strategy. Uh, everything, everyone is, every, every day is different. Um, it can be a legal problem too. Uh, uh, we had lots of uh, discussions about uh, how can we legally use uh, cameras and AI. It's one of yeah. the hot subjects we have now. And uh, so helping my, my team, helping our business units, uh, they have problems, they're trying to figure out how, how they can solve them. And we look at what the innovation tools, what the methods we have, what the partners we know, uh, and and try to give them uh, a new way of looking at the problems they have. And usually lots of the innovations we create, it's helping the people from business units yeah. to look differently at the problem they have. And because usually they already, before coming to see us, they already tried lots of things. So retrying the same thing is not very clever. No, but but trying to say, okay, let's, Look at the problem differently. Let's bring a new partner around the table. Let's take a look at the a different technology, for example, is usually one of the, the key components to make that. And after that, um, I try to save a little bit of my time to meeting people from the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. 
uh, and reading about innovation in the world, what are other people are doing? It's and in the mobility sector, but also outside of the mobility sector. Um, yeah, you probably know the concept of serendipity. Yeah, you, you need to cultivate that. You need to take every day a little bit of your time to look at different things. Right. And what are our competitors doing? What are other people in the mobility industry doing? What are other people in other fields are doing? And you clearly see that it's a great source of uh, uh, innovation and, and having this ability to look at things differently. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, can, I can say after listening to you that you always have an interesting day because you are dealing with so many problems, like you mentioned, not only the technology side, but also the policy legal side. But, uh, but I love your point about uh, having some time every day to talk to people uh, in the ecosystem, also not only from virtuality, but outside and, and reading. You know, I think that's, that's very important because a lot of time people don't read and don't try to learn what's happening around them and they miss the new wave or new innovation and all. So as, a, as, as your role as an innovation head, you need to do that because then only you can tell other people that how you can do. But that's great. In fact, my follow-up question is something you know, you recently mentioned, uh, you recently mentioned that innovation is one of the piece of RATP DNA. And in fact, I like the tagline, which RATP publish everywhere. It's RATP love startups, uh, which is, which is a great, a small quote, but a great line because it show that it's love innovation. It's love new idea. It's except a different perspective. Currently there are 180 projects go, going on, uh, within RATP involving 140 partners, including startup university incubator, manufacturers, industry partner, like you mentioned. So can you briefly share about the structure of innovation department within RATP, uh, given that the group has so many different subsidiaries? You mentioned that you have more than 100 subsidiaries across the globe. So how this innovation department can work with so many different subsidiaries? And can you share the engagement model with the startup, like how you engage with these startups? Because that's one of the key points a lot of authorities uh, face challenge is how to engage with these innovation companies and innovators. Um, so on the organization, we're we're not very innovative in that. Uh, we have a, <laughs> a central team um, that deals with the, the strategy, the governance, the main innovation programs. We have on autonomous mobility, on smart city, on AI and robotics, and that deals with the innovation methods and tools that we can uh, mutualize. Okay. Uh, like innovation labs, the startups, the participatory innovation. And then we have people in all the business units um, that makes the link between that central team and the operational team on the, on the ground. And some of them have themselves little teams locally uh, or they're having LSM, some other people helping them. Uh, that, that's really depending on the which business unit we're working uh, on and it's very different from uh, uh, you know when you're a small city in France yeah uh, or when you are in the engineering department uh, here in Paris it's clearly not the same thing and we need to adapt to to that but in in all of that uh, you can create innovation not the same kind of innovation but you can create innovation adapted to to the to the business unit and to the the, the local subsidiary that you're working with and clearly, the, the, the key element is how you make the information moves between those all those people. And that's a, a real challenge 
to do that at the scale of uh, yeah. a group like we have. Um, on the startups, um, today what we do with startups is that we try to add them accelerate. So every year we make calls, we start from our problems and we describe those problems and we make calls and saying, come and help us solving those problems. Yeah. And then we have a lot of candidates, like last this year we had more than 200 candidates mm-hmm. on the problems. And uh, then we select the startups that we want, that, that, that where we can do something together. It not, it doesn't mean the startup is not valuable. It doesn't mean uh, they're doing bad thing or whatever. It's the question is, can we do something together? Yeah. And uh, once we have made this selection, then we start an innovation project with them, uh, starting by verifying the value, verifying how the technology is working, and making the first steps, like usually the first experiments. And if it's working, then we can make, you know, have the classical innovation stream, making uh, bigger and bigger steps, and finally going for a full product if it's possible. Um, we learned that um, sometimes it's not that easy to work with really early startups. Yeah. For um, two reasons, um, they are very early, and we are very big, so it means we are very slow. And we learned that if you, it, it's not helping them uh, to work directly with them. So we love early startups because they are inspiring us. Yeah, and we try to focus more on a little bit more mature startups, uh, where they already have a product, and we can really make a project together. And it's okay for them if making a decision take two months. Um, and if you do that within very early startups, you, the risk is is killing them, and we don't want to do that. So really, the the question is, what when finding startups we can help grow, uh, help accelerate, and mm. something which is mutually uh, valuable is they have a new perspective they have new solutions but we have a lot of experts yeah and and experts that will help them to understand what are the real constraints on on existing systems and and when you mix those those two elements then you can make really great things you have the start of bringing freshness new ideas new ways of looking and in the same time the experts they can help solving the other problems which are not yeah. the core of the problem but this is real acceleration for the startups to go to a real solutions that works on the field now these are great points in fact i can see some similarity with transport for london because they also say they the first thing they ask a question to a startup is that do you have a runway for six months because like you said in the big organization it takes time to move things and uh, and it's nothing wrong in 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 big organization you need to take care of a lot of things a lot of corporate governance issues and uh, so you need to make sure that the startup can have that much of runway to grow and i like your point you don't want to discourage anybody but you want to make sure there is a product and that product can be used uh, and bringing the innovation with the expertise is very important because sometimes i meet these founders and i find that they have no clue about the reality of uh, how the real world works 
because they they think uh, you know they can change everything but there are a lot of thing in the back end which is difficult to difficult to change so thanks for sharing these point and i i i love the way you structure you know you launch this accelerator call get so many 200 entries and i can imagine it must be a very tough call to decide uh, 10 or 15 entries from this 200 because everything look exciting and as an as an innovator you feel so curious to learn about different solutions but you have to stop yourself and say which one will work yeah clearly and uh something which is tough as an innovator is to kill projects but yeah. <laughs> you need to 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 know to do that uh, at some point it's better for everyone to say okay it's not working yeah it doesn't bring the value we wanted to have it's okay learn what what did we learn we learned something that's a success let's celebrate that but let let's go to something else yeah and yeah. and that's something we are you know it's every day we're learning to do that trying to kill projects properly it's oh, yeah. really 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 difficult but it's it's really mandatory you oh, you yeah. cannot you cannot do anything yeah 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 no and it's the most difficult part like you mentioned and and now my next question is about the innovation culture within the rtp group like you mentioned it's uh, it's a big group uh, it's so many subsidiary and so many functions are there but i love what rtp did the structure their innovation around four sector one one is about everyday innovation which affect the traveler second is about uh, invent the city of tomorrow so focusing on smart city technology and all Uh, the third point is about decarbonize mobility and city and fourth is to improve industrial site and and i saw that uh, rtp has such a big function of engineering construction mechanical side uh, so they are they are improving the industrial site as well so how these four areas are covering all key functional area of rtp and also can you share some interesting innovative projects in these area one you are doing or one you are exploring uh, because it will be important for startup to know what are the area rtp is focusing on now and what are you looking some solution for the future yeah so with this uh, four uh, pillars we we cover pretty much uh, everything we do um so the first one is innovation for you know day to day travelers uh, it's really how can we make their life easier how can we reduce the exploitation problems we have um and uh on that uh, it's really focusing on the user experience um uh, and then you can have innovation on all part of that um you can have innovation uh, uh when people enter the subway for example or yeah. uh once they are inside uh, how can you guide them uh how can you uh have a better um uh, management on the problems that we face every day because uh we can you can do a lot of things to avoid those problems like yeah. predictive maintenance and we do a lot of that but still at some point there are problems that that, that happens so how do you manage that how do you help people uh getting a, a new opportunity a new way of moving if you have some problem somewhere um and really that's working on giving them the good information at the good time and the good place and it seems to be easy to say but it's really really difficult to to yeah. to to do the the second pillar is have we have is 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 a long term effort it's the question of what will be cities in 10 years or 20 years hmm. and um on that uh we clearly are um mobility operator and we work for example in autonomous mobilities um with uh, shuttles trams and and buses 
Um, but it's also a question on how we shape cities. Uh, mobility is a mobility uh, is a, is a city shaper, um, and we have developed through the years expertise on um, uh, construction of buildings. Uh, we started by building houses on top of bus depot, for yeah. example, and today we make more and more uh, complex constructions, mixing um, uh, houses, uh, offices, or industrial sites inside of cities. And uh, this is really a big questions about what will be cities in 20 years? How yeah. do you adapt cities to climate change? How do you create, how do you reduce the, 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 the public space for cars and how do you improve it for public transportation? So this is really long-term subjects, but they are really, really uh, interesting to, to, look, to look at. Um, the third subject uh, is linked to that. It's the question of decarbonation. Uh, how do we reduce CO2 emissions? Uh, how do you create more public transport? How to help um, pull people? How do you reduce the emissions of public transport? Uh, and we have a lot of efforts on buses uh, with uh, bio CNG, electric buses, and, and we start to have uh, hydrogen buses. Yeah. Uh, and even on top of that, it's really a question of how do you help cities to decarbonize? How do you uh, able to add uh, trees inside of the cities. Uh, we are a part of that. We're not doing that by, alone, but we can be a part of that. And cities yeah. desperately looks for solutions. So we, we can provide some of the solutions. And the last subject is we are an industrial company. Uh, and we are an industrial company in the middle of cities. So it means our industrial tools are so constrained. You know, it, it's not you're know, like you're a car company, you have uh, a plant 20 kilometers from whatever cities you can do whatever you have lots of spaces you can put robots and whatever we're not some of yeah. our plants are down under the earth uh, it means just to bring the elements to bring a machine to bring a robot is complicated yeah. uh, and um, in the same time it brings a lot of constraints and from constraints grows innovation uh, and uh, so we have huge subjects on that, uh, on this, on, on innovation, on tackling this, this, this specificity, but also on classical industry innovation, uh, 5G, uh, yeah. BIM, robots, 3D peer printing. Uh, it's all, I mean, classic stuff for industry innovation, but it's a great field of innovation for us. These all are great point, and I, I love what you shared that example of building housing over the past depot. I, I know there are a couple of sites in Paris where uh, RATP is doing that experiment. And I think with electric buses, when there will be no emission, it's it's much easier to build the housing near the bus depot because earlier the conventional buses, people don't want to live near the bus depot. And generally these bus depots used to be outside of the city because of these problems with the noise. But now you can you can do much. I mean, there is no maintenance. You don't need to uh, do much of maintenance in the electric buses, uh, except the body part. Uh, but but yeah, I think it makes much more sense. And I, I love what you said about uh, how the constraint uh, bring innovation and force you to rethink what you are doing and what uh, what is required and all. Uh, now I would like to discuss about this corporate venture capital side of RATP. A lot of people don't know that RATP has a corporate venture capital firm, which is RATP Capital Innovation, which is investing in sustainable mobility, urban real estate, last mile logistic uh, startup. 
and uh, the fund has so far invested in seven startups and uh, has more than $30 million under management. So how does innovation department work with RATP Capital Innovation? And how do you decide which sector or startup the group should invest? What kind of things you look before making investment in any company? Um, so um, RATP Capital Innovation is a dedicated company, one of the subsidiary, uh, mainly for uh, administrative uh, reasons. Uh, we have regular exchanges between the two teams on the startups we we yeah. share we all speak to startups so we need to be synchronized so we have real exchange we look at the technology their interest their use cases do we think that there are some values um we we source startups together uh for example we partner the european standard prize for mobility mm. um, which is a, a prize that is under the patronage of european parliaments and that every year brings uh, together the best startups in Europe on mobility and city management, city experience. Uh, and we clearly, yeah, we do that together. We share all that. And, and then um, once we have, uh, we, we, we clearly see the, the, the strengths and uh, of the different startups we have, then at some point we we start aligning aligning that with uh, the group strategy. Uh, where is the group today and where it wants to go uh, in the next years? And at, at the end, the final decisions I I taken by the, uh, the 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 Comex members on on finance strategy and and, and developments. So um, uh, the beginning of the process is really classic, and at the end it's you know it's it's a each time it's a specific case. Uh, we're not a uh, uh, professional uh, investor. So we invest on things that are really correlated to the strategy and the way we develop uh, on the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually agree with your point. Like, okay, you're not the professional investor, but actually you are the client. So you know what technology and what innovation is required in the long term. Because sometimes the investor just bet on different startup, believing that it will work, it will not work. But uh, to be on the other side, the RATP is a client also for these startup. So as a client, you know which uh, innovation um, will. Yeah, we, we usually don't invest in startups where we are directly clients. Well, more ah, okay. looking at partners, things that are complementary to us uh, than direct clients. Um, I won't say it's uh, you know it's a rule uh, and we will never do that. Uh, as I said, each case is a little different. bit different. Um, but yeah, the idea is more to um, make partners allows the ecosystem to grow than mm. uh, investing in direct partners. If it, it, it's it can happen that like we said we want to buy this company because we think it's pretty nice, but then we do that with direct investments, not right. using. Uh, the interesting interesting no thanks for sharing that point i was not aware so it's a good strategy so you don't want to have any conflict or any any other issue so keeping it two things separate so looking more partner rather than just as a supplier that's great thanks for sharing uh now you know in your role you must be meeting many founder who are building startup in the mobility and logistic area sometimes it's difficult to decide which idea will work and which will not work like you mentioned getting 200 entries and selecting only 15 it's a it's a difficult task 
So I have two questions. Is like one, what are your evaluation criteria to find the the next good startup or next unicorn or next big uh, uh, technology company? And what is your advice to the founder and startup in mobility sector based on your experience so far? What you feel they should do or they shouldn't do when they are working in this area? Um, so I'm I, I'm not trying to find the next unicorn. That, that that's <laughs> too difficult. Um, uh, when I, I meet a founder, when I meet uh, startups, I'm looking at uh, a few different things. Um, first one is I'm looking at the, the use case. Um, is it realistic uh, for me or for someone else? I, I mean, it can be for someone else, but um, what is the probability that there is a real problem and that the solutions they try to, the problems they're trying to, to crack is a real problem? Uh, the second thing I'm looking at is is the technology. Is, is it working? Um, and uh, can it scale? Uh, it can work on a bench, in a lab, or yeah. on, on the startup desk. The question is, can it scale? So uh, is there any um, regulation issue? Uh, or um, how can it deploy? And the, the third thing is, um, is anyone willing to pay? Because mm. at some point in startup, it's, it's, it's company, you need, to, you need to earn money. Yeah. Uh, solutions can be brilliant. Uh, um, problem can be real, but if no one wants to buy it, then, then you won't make any money on that. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's one of the biggest uh, cuts when you look at the, the pipe of the, the startups. It's, uh, Use case, use case is real. Okay, technology is working. Okay, does anyone want to pay for it? No, no. <laughs> uh, too bad. Uh, the last thing is is the um, the team, the, um, the funder vision and the team around it. Um, you know, sometimes when the startup starts, uh, the, the problem is not the good one, or the technology is 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 okay but not revolutionary. And, and finally, no one wants to pay for it. Yeah. Um, but if the team is good, then they can try to change a little bit progressively once they learn what's the real problem, who is willing, willing to pay for that. And, and, and that's, that's a question of the quality of the team. If the, the team is good, if they're motivated, uh, then they can make the modifications that are needed to make the startup successful. Otherwise, if, if the team is like, too narrow-minded on their initial view and not able to listen to people, then it probably won't work. Yeah, no, I, I like uh, what you mentioned about uh, that uh, everything can work if team is good. Nothing will work if team is bad because uh, if they are narrow-minded, they are not listening to the partner or investors or, or client, I mean, nothing will work. Uh, and that's what happened. A lot of these startups fail because they keep their mindset uh, to a narrow product and they don't want to change. And in fact, I, I spoke to one of the, the venture capitalists who is investing in mobility startup. And that's what he said. The team play a big role uh, in any investment. Uh, otherwise, uh, the whole product and idea will be, will be gone very soon. Yeah, and, and I mean, for me, almost the main thing is, do you have the impression that the team loves to work together? Oh, yeah. If if you know if there is if there is the good casting and and they love to work together, they can crack whatever problems they have. 
uh, but if they don't love that, uh, then first problem, you know, it won't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they are not sticking together, so that's a perfect recipe for the failure. Sooner or later, they will. <laughs> there will be some cracks, and and the whole thing will, will, uh, will fall apart. Uh, now, shifting a gear a bit, uh, one of the key thing which is going to happen in Paris is the Summer Olympics. So, Summer Olympic will be in Paris in 2024. Uh, so, we are just around 720 days uh, around, or even less. And RATP is a mobility partner of Olympic. Uh, 2024 and this will be the first game fully aligned with the climate goal in fact uh, the paris city promised that 100 of spectator will travel by public transport during the games uh, so that they can drastically reduce the carbon uh, total carbon uh, footprint for the game so it's a big event for paris uh, and i think for RATP group because you will be kind of managing the whole mobility for the city and RATP is already planning to launch some futuristic projects, including autonomous electric vehicle, urban air mobility, and many other. So I'm curious to learn about some of these projects and how RATP is preparing for the game. How, what kind of pressure at innovation department uh, is there? Like you need to showcase some of the big innovation at this game. Um, so. We're deeply involved in the Olympics, but we're not a partner in the terms of in the Olympic terms. Um, and uh, you know, in 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 Paris, uh, there are several operators. We're one of them, but we're not the uh, the, the only uh, operators uh, around. So the the we have a huge um, uh, coordination efforts to do with Ile uh, uh, de France Mobility, which is mm. the the organizing authority okay. for all in the France. Uh, but clearly, if you look at where the Olympic sites are deployed, we will be uh, clearly very concerned. Um, uh, we have a dedicated program manager just for the Olympics, dealing with a lot of problems. Hmm. And clearly, innovation is it's almost the easiest one. <laughs> um, so if you look at more on, on innovations, yeah, clearly we have a we're preparing some projects on, on urban air mobility with uh, uh, an experimental service between uh, Le Bourget Airport, which is one of the airports in Paris, and one or two points in Paris, yeah. uh, trying to you know showcase really this uh, urban air mobility. We are also preparing uh, experiments with uh, autonomous buses and uh, also with hydrogen buses. We probably will have uh, a full hydrogen line for the for the Olympics, okay. um, and we also prepare to receive to receive the world. So um, we recently completed um, the first deployment of an AI that we developed that allows to translate instantly in several languages what uh, what RTP agents are saying on mics. Um, ah. You know we have classic situations where we have pre-recorded messages in different languages, but you know, you have this exploitation hazard. And in that case, then it's uh, a RTP agent that takes the mic and speak in French. And then only the French people understand and a few others, but <laughs> you miss a lot of people. Yeah. So we developed this AI. Uh, it's, it's now uh, able to instantly translate in English and German. And we deploy that on three lines. And uh, we did that really recently, 
a few months ago and the the target is the olympic it's, it's for the olympic we want to have deployed that on all the uh, on the complete uh, network and in the, the the languages of the olympics so the five languages of the olympics so we still have two years but okay it's still a little bit we need to we, we cannot rest on, on this subject if we want to oh, be, yeah. uh, on, on time for the, for, the, for the Olympics. But clearly, it's one of the, the innovations that will be uh, here for real. Well, that's quite interesting, uh, uh, real time. I, I remember uh, recently Meta was doing, uh, like Facebook was doing something similar, but they were doing more for the text, not for, not for the speech and all. So it'll be, it'll be quite interesting, a real time translation. And, and one of the things that we had to do is to train AI with all the names of the stations and all the expressions that we use. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the AI was translating, you know, a little bit stupidly at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, we had a lot of work uh, retraining the AI to be able to adapt to the emotion. Network. Yeah. And also adding the emotions and, and like if there is some humor and then you want to add a little bit of humor in the other languages too. So it's, yeah, a, it's a challenging yeah. task. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, next question, you know, which you, which you mentioned earlier about that RLTP vision about introducing robots for the industrial side. And I would must say that RLTP is among the very few agencies uh, in, the, in the world which are using drones and robots in the daily operation and maintenance activity. In uh, November 2021, uh, RATP infrastructure team added uh, Percival, the dog robot developed by the uh, Boston Dynamic, and then RATP infrastructure arm inducted the LEOs2 uh, drone developed by the Flyability in the Paris Metro to perform inspection of uh, elevated assets uh, using computer vision and AI and all. What do you see the future maintenance facility will look like by adding these kind of uh, robots, drone, and these kind of facility? And how can these new technology enable the operator to improve efficiency? Because I think, like you mentioned, it should solve some real problems. So what kind of problem these technologies are solving? And my last point is, uh, because I know in Paris and Europe, the union is very strong. So did you face any resistance from the workshop staff when they see these robots are walking along uh, with them and doing some work? Um, so on, on this topic, uh, we're not focusing on improving efficiency. Uh, we focus on improving the quality of life of our agents. Hmm. Uh, as I said, we, we operate underground. Some places are like really nightmares to inspect. Uh, for example, it, when you have to do inspections under platforms, it, it's, it's very, very uh, tiny. It's uh, today some places we we people need to uh, uh, crawl on the on the knees uh, to be able to perform inspections, uh, or in, in other places we have very elevated ceilings uh, of metro tunnels, and then you need to have people that climbs on on on, on things. It's you know it, it takes time. It's it's painful. Uh, it can generate accidents. Uh, so already was to say okay. Uh, we need to try to find new solutions for that. Hmm. One of the big challenges we had is nothing is flat. Hmm. And we needed to have, um, we, we, uh, trying robots is, 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 is not something new at RATP. Uh, we, we started to, to, to use robots in the, in the 90s, in the beginning of the, 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 the century, but it was a lot of robots that were um, on wheels. 
Hmm. And the problem is that nothing is flat. Yeah. Uh, trucks are not flat. Uh, and you have cables everywhere. So it was too difficult to do. So it was there was some experiment in that, and it was just killed. And what we really have found now is that the technology of uh, drones and the technology of robots that can walk are now mature enough so that we can use them operationally. And, and then you can send those drones uh, or those robots in, in places that are difficult for people to access. Yeah. And if you do that, um, you still need some people to pilot the drone or guide the robots and to analyze the collected data and, and add their, their expertise and their experience on what is the real problem and what kind of work you need to do to uh, solve the problem before it, 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 it's becoming bigger and bigger. Uh, so it means that that's why we don't have any uh, resistance from the, 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 the people, because in fact, we are helping them solve their problem. Uh, of course, uh, we have efficiency gains, but it, it's not the initial intentions. The yeah. initial intention is remove the fact the places that that are so painful you 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 don't go or you go uh, you know you don't want to go, and and once doing that we can solve the real problem and once the the agents have the tools in their hands, then they start using it everywhere. Yeah. So um, it. You know, and and then you can at the end have some gains on on productivity, but that's not the initial concern. We do that by trying to uh, having a better quality of life for for agents. Yeah, like uh, in the beginning, you mentioned your role is to help others. So with these projects, the idea is the how to help uh, these maintenance staff or operators, and then by by helping others, you gain some efficiency and opportunity to. To meet some other goal, but the ultimate idea is that how to make the job much easier and faster. Like I, I like your point, what you mentioned about these technician. Now they have these cameras and they can see with these camera and uh, I mean they can get some assistance from the computer, but they can also use their own experience and find out whether there is a problem or whether it can be useful. No, that's great, uh, and I think that should be the motive always. Uh, it's uh, how to help to make people job easier uh, rather than thinking about replacing them uh, yeah. i love that point <laughs> now you mentioned about uh, that uh, the decarbonizing uh, the city is one of the key goal for rtp and rtp group is investing heavily in electric buses and i would say it's being one of the largest international operators that you're in inducting electric buses from different manufacturers and uh, managing different technologies like opportunity charge fast charge slow charging in different countries so my question is, which technology, according to you, will survive in the long run? Because uh, there are so many technologies now, uh, wireless charging, induction charging, opportunity charge, uh, which technology you think will survive in the long run? And one of the key challenge for big organization is how to share knowledge across different geographies. Uh, RTP Group is working in 14 countries around the globe. So how do you make sure that some of the learning you have from one country can can go to another. And uh, just to add uh, one more point to this question is, uh, what type of system you use to manage your fleet and charging infrastructure? Are you developing any kind of in-house uh, IT system or platform to manage uh, these fleets? Because it's a big change. And I think for the operator like RATP, it must be a, a big project. Um, 
so um, today the, the, the two most advanced cities are London uh, and Paris. Um, for them, we have a strategy on 100% clean buses um, made with TFL in London and, and uh, the France Mobilité in, in, in Paris. And uh, that, that's a total of uh, 5,700 buses. That, wow. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and it will be a mix of um, bio CNG and, and electric buses. Uh, and what we see is um, we clearly focus on slow charging at night. Uh, yeah. That's really adapted to buses. It's, I mean, it's kind of different when you have a car, an electric car, or other kind of electric vehicles. But buses, usually at night, they sleep. You can charge them. And, and today, the autonomy of buses are enough to complete uh, a day of uh, exploitation. Yeah. Um, uh, so we have a few fast charging systems, you know, for um, hazards. And in some cases, you need to have, okay, I have this bus, I need to fill it very quickly. Uh, and But it's clearly a minority. It's more like uh, the, the vast majority is slow charging during That's the night. Fast. And, and we, we, we perform that a bit. Uh, we look at opportunity charging. Uh, the, the fact is it, it's a nightmare in terms of uh, infrastructure in the city. And in some places, uh, you need it's impossible to deploy uh, due to heritage or regulations. Yeah. Uh, in Paris, you're very <laughs> quickly in the heritage perimeter. Uh, and uh, adding this kind of things, it, it's very complex. It's almost impossible. So. Um, so it's costly. So uh, uh, you need to have very really good reasons to to do that. I I, I would not say it does not. It's never happening, uh, but clearly it's not the focus we have. It, it will yeah. be more more complex um, uh, things. Um, today we see more and more cities, smaller cities that comes to us saying, okay, we want to shift our our, our buses to green um, uh, green fleets. And uh, what we do is uh, we've uh, a pool of experts. We can send them to say, okay, uh, how do you define the strategy? What is the best best mixed between bio CNG, uh, electric, hydrogen? Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, because lots of cities, when they start the questions, they have no idea of the, oh, yeah. the differences, the costs, uh, the 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 drawback and advantages of each of the solutions, and. There is no bullet solutions. There is no magic bullets. It's not one solution that fits all. Each city has its. We need you need to find a good mix for each city. Um, so we help them to do that, and and then um, there are two cases. Either we are already the operator of the city, then we we use those experts to train the local teams, and to, to do to be able to start the transition, and 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 then we are providing them support. So that if they have questions, then of course we can add it to them. And in some cities, we, we're not at all the local operator, but yeah. the city know that we already have done that several times. And so they come to us to add them, define the strategy, and, and, and depending on the cases, challenging their local operators or helping the local operators to do the thing because it's not that easy to, easy. to do. Uh, especially if you want to do it on a uh, full city. For a city, it, it's a risk to be able to not to complete this transition. And at the same time, now they see that they don't have a choice. They oh, yeah. need to remove their 
diesel buses or, uh, or old stuff and, and bring new one. And they need to do that in, in, uh, in an environment when uh, economic constraints for cities is, is a reality. So making this transition by um, mastering the industrial parts, uh, the adaptations that you need to do, the, the consequences on exploitation, on maintenance, and keeping the budget, it's, it's something which is really tough to do all in the same time. So we're clearly here to help cities to do that. Uh, and um, yeah, by sharing the experience we have in, in London and, and in Paris, and we'll see clearly more and more cities that do that. Uh, on, the, on the tools we have to manage the fleets, uh, it's, it's a mix between um, systems made by manufacturers, like when you buy an electric bus, yeah. you have some software that comes with it. Uh, it's the same thing for the, the charging station. And, and at some points, there are some unmade components <laughs> on top of that to be able to manage everything. Um, uh, clearly, it's a place where we can do lots of, it, it's quick, changing very quickly, and uh, we can do lots of innovation on those things. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, this is only the beginning. Uh, I mean, making buses electrics uh, is, um, make something it's it's a clear shift between on on the ecosystem oh, yeah. uh, in fact you start looking at the uh tran digital transformation of the energy sector mm. uh, this is completely different from what we have on classic diesel uh and new competencies it's new profile it's everything is new so it's you know it's uh you have a, a white page and you try to write something and <laughs> sometimes you just erase and, and start again. No, I, I agree with you. It's like uh, creating new job and new opportunity. In fact, I met one startup which is doing uh, work on battery analytics. And, and their role is that when you have a full fleet of, let's say, 5,000 electric buses, now how do you take care of battery health? Which battery need? What kind of charging strategy? And uh, how to optimize their uh, state of charge and all those kind of stuff. So, and nobody thought about these kind of companies or these kind of tools earlier, but it's it's emerging. So it's like a, a white slate and you are creating new tools. Uh, the Another new uh, transition happening is the hydrogen and fuel cell uh, technology. And you mentioned that RTP group is very bullish about this technology. You will have one line at Olympics, which will be hydrogen. But my point is hydrogen is still, it's still evolving. Uh, like you mentioned, biogas and electric vehicle, they are much more advanced and much more proven. Uh, even though many countries are bullish, uh, they want to become the future hub for hydrogen energy. What is your view on, on, uh, on hydrogen? Uh, and my question is why you are bullish about hydrogen technology. When do you think we can see the mass adoption of uh, hydrogen uh, buses or fleet or vehicles because I spoke to many experts and they still feel it's five to ten years away. Uh, so clearly hydrogen is in the middle of a hype peak. Yeah. You know, technology is will do everything, including coffee. Um, uh, however, if you start to look at it a little bit more seriously, saying, okay, what are the use cases? What is the technology maturity? Uh, is anyone wanting to pay for that? Uh, you can see that uh, it's possible to answer yes to all those three questions on some specific parts of the use cases. Yeah. 
the two use cases we found interesting are the places where electric buses are no longer working. For example, 18 meter buses, 18 meter buses, electric 18 meter buses, it's you need opportunity charging to exploit them. It's make complicated, it's make very costly. In the same time, 80 meters Idleton buses, it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, there is another case which is um, small minibuses in suburban area going from down to town. Those buses, they, they are already using 300, 400 kilometers a day. It's yeah. too much for batteries. And since it's minibuses, you cannot put too many too batteries many. on them. So on those cases, hydrogen is, is great because it has no uh, emissions except water, very long autonomy, charging in 15 minutes. Um, so that makes them really interesting for that. I'm pretty sure it won't replace electric buses. You know, it's, as I said, it's a question of mix. If you look at the city, if you look at how the territory is done, what are the lengths of the lines? How many people do you move? How many 18 meter buses do you have? And how many mini buses do you have? There is a place for hydrogen. It's not a big place, it's a small place, but yeah. this place exists. And um, we clearly see that the, the, the vehicles are coming. Uh, today, uh, we had a first uh, a bus in productions today in in our in La Roche sur Yon in in, in France, okay. um, and and the hydrogen comes directly from uh, uh, wind energy fields that is uh, around that is nearby. So oh. you clearly need to have green hydrogen, otherwise there is no case. Yeah, that's all. Um, and we will have a. a Complete, complete, a complete bus line for the for the Olympics uh, here in in, in Ile de France, and but there are that you know on that things, public transport is trying to um, uh, bootstrap an ecosystem for mobility, and for me there are two factors that will make the success and the mass adoption of hydrogen or not. Yeah, uh, the first one is. Uh, trucks our trucks are going to adopt hydrogen electric trucks is something really complicated uh, and hydrogen is really related to heavy mobility trucks boats that's the good case for them versus you you are you're in the really really line and the, the, the lower line yeah um and if trucks are going for it then clearly you will have mass adoption and the second thing is um, what's the price of green hydrogen? Yeah. Because at the end, the objective of hydrogen is making things decarbonize. So if you if the production of if you're not using green hydrogen, then it's no case. And today, green hydrogen is still very expensive compared to uh, not green hydrogen. Yeah. Um, but if you look at um, the increase of prices of uh, gas recently, then yields. The, the, the price of hydrogen is not that far from being um, uh, even with the with the price of, of gas or, or with the price of gas. So it's probably um, a good candidate to go further than bioCNG on places because even if bioCNG is it's emitting less pollution than diesel bus, it still emits some pollutions. Oh, yeah. So hydrogen can emits only water so it, it's perfect for that so it's more a long-term things five years ten years 
and and clearly the question of what's the price of hydrogen will be and what are the trucks going for that if those two are going in a good direction then clearly it will it will uh, develop otherwise it will stay a niche on, niche on the public transport uh, uh, ecosystem I, I love your analysis uh, first uh, the 18 meter and small buses because there is a restriction how many battery you can put on the vehicle so it per make perfect case and secondly the price and the trucks because the the truck is a huge number and uh, the moment uh, the trucks start using hydrogen or converting into hydrogen it's give that economy of scale uh, like we achieve in electric buses because there are so many buses all around so you can use it uh, and i think i think you rightly mentioned it's like once we uh, have some success in these two parameter the reducing the price or making it some price parity and secondly commercial adoption of uh, hydrogen then we will see more and more of these vehicle coming now i agree with and you it will be complementary to electric on hydrogen we had uh, something which is small but which is nice um you can also use hydrogen on not on mobility on static uh use case and we we replace some diesel based power generators on our building sites by hydrogen based ah. power generator and um no it means no emissions and no noise no so noise the neighborhood is they love that <laughs> they don't want that we come back to diesel uh, a building sign is always making noise but if you can reduce that then you're improving the, the, the quality of life for citizens around and and when you do a lot of constructions and building stuff uh that's something important for 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 people to accept the the transformation you're doing in the city oh yeah 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 no it's it's the the customer or you know the the people buy in very important uh, when you are implementing a new technology a new solution if it's making their life better or or it's adding some other problem in their life so the hydrogen genset i think definitely is uh, people most love it because no noise no pollution it can be closer to your house and you can get uh, unlimited energy whatever you need uh, by switching it on <laughs> it's not uh, cheap but no, that's uh, but... unlimited <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, clearly it's no noise um uh no emissions and and that that's already something really nice make make it big impactful now i want to talk about this point which you which you mentioned about the use of ai and and i think use of ai is growing in every sector including in public transport you mentioned that how you're using ai for language translation for your uh, uh vehicle inspection or track inspection so i mean ai can help to unlock the value of data to improve the quality and efficiency in public transport sector how do you see the use of ai in different function uh, for transit agency you mentioned about couple of use cases but what are the other cases uh, or some example you want to share where uh, rtp is very aggressively using ai to improve the efficiency or i would say also help the transit operator and uh, the workers um so um ai is 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 something that can help uh, all parts of in organizations um as soon as you have data and 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 people ready to use it um so we have a um, strategic program on ai uh that tries to cover all the spectrum of what we do here at rtp so going from uh, 
uh, helping our customers or maintenance or uh, industry or even you know uh, what do you call support function uh, finance and and human resources mm. um, so um, to give you a, a few example uh, so I mentioned the the AI that perform translations uh, we have a lot of AI for predictive maintenance on on trains on trucks on whatever you can do maintenance on yeah. uh, it's only a powerful tool the question is um, you need to craft each time the, the goods uh, sets between uh, the sensors and the AI. And there's a big question on, are you making sensors on the train or are you and, and or are you making sensors on the tracks? Yeah. And what are you looking at? And sometimes it's more interesting to get sensor on the train that can look at the tracks or sensors on the tracks that look at the trains than uh, having sensors on the track for the track or the train for the train. So yeah, interesting. you need to do that. And because sensors can cost a lot, um, and uh, once you have made that, then uh, you can look at what kind of use cases are interesting and where do, do your AI bring the, the, the best value right. for, for, for your money. Um, um, we have um, also, we have a lot of cameras. Uh, and so we look uh, to what we can do with cameras and AI, and you can do amazing things. Um, <clears throat> as long as you respect uh, people's privacy. Yeah. Um, but for example, uh, we had an experiment um, where we uh, just um, measure the way people are, um, uh, the density of people on the platform and helping them saying, okay, lots of people are, uh, please go there, then you will have a better comfort for your travel. Yeah. And, and that, that works and you don't track anyone, you don't recognize anyone. It's just, you know, counting people. And um, and that that that's really quite well, and, and we have a lot more and more um, uh, AI working on on this kind of things. We also have AI that that helps do on on safety. Uh, for example, we have um, anti-collision system for tramways okay. that has been developed um, because sometimes you can you know trams are very bad at braking. Uh, and inside of cities, it, this is so complex environment. You can have people from going from anywhere, and, and people, and yeah. bikes, and scooters, and cars, and buses, and whatever. And um, some in, in in some places we have big collisions uh, problems. Uh, and anything that can helps us uh, anticipate this kind of things and. Give, helps the driver to look at something that he didn't have seen or he, has, he could see, but um, a little bit later. Uh, if we can help him anticipate, then that, yeah. that's way better. Uh, yeah. uh, we're working also on a, uh, an AI that detects people that stay on trains after service. Ah, you know, okay. people that fall asleep or stay on train and forget to get out and that finish on the service tracks and then you need to some to send some guys to just get the people out of the train and bring them back to the station so this is the kind of thing it's i uh, you know it's if you can say, say oh wait there is someone still on the train um that's something that can clearly help uh uh the the people themselves and the exploitation because it's less added on the on the exploitation so that's a few examples but you know the the, the the possibility of AIs are very very big. We're just at the beginning of exploring all those, 
the question is um, how do you uh, make the goods uh, uh, the good value for the good money you have and 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 not it, it's easy to craft huge projects of AI that that costs a lot that that bring only very few value so the, the question is really the balance between um, the sensors, the AI you develop, and the and the value you generate. Value but if you really look at the pro the, the the project like this, then then there is lots of things to do. Yeah, and like uh, this uh, idea about using AI to check whether anybody left in the train or not, because I remember in some of the uh, agencies they have a person who go from front to bottom, you know, just to check uh, if there is anybody sitting or or sleeping. Uh, inside the train and they need to take out so it's a it's a cost so probably you can do much efficiently and much faster because then you don't need to stop you can just uh, check within five seconds is any object or anything left in the train and you can do i mean it's a small function but it can bring a lot of efficiency to turn around so thanks for sharing i, I really love uh, like you mentioned it can be used everywhere but you need to balance the value and the cost uh, and does it does it really bring a real value uh, on the plate now during the pandemic, one of the key challenge for transit operator was the ticketing and payment because many of the city were using physical ticket and all. And uh, what we seen after this pandemic, uh, there was a greater push for contactless ticketing. Uh, how did the ticketing change in the Paris region? Uh, what are your view on some of these emerging technology like open loop payment system, mobile ticketing, be in, be out, you know, people don't need to take out anything and, and the mobile phone can calculate everything or biometric ticketing, like you mentioned that the camera can be very good use. So using people facial recognition as a ticketing and all. Uh, what are these technology you feel uh, will be the future or, or at RATP, you are experimenting with some of these technologies. So, um, ticketing now is it, it's it's managed by Ile de France Mobilité in Paris. Uh, so we, we work with them, uh, and and COVID was clearly something we accelerate the the deployment of um, uh, SMS payments on mobile, yeah. especially in buses. Um, and we with 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 them we. We recently started the process of completely removing the paper tickets uh, going okay. on cards, and so clearly that's that huge evolution and and the crisis made them accelerate. But it's you know it's a, it's a, it's something that yeah it's more or less more than an acceleration. Not I, I would say it's not it was not uh, triggered by the by the by by, by the crisis. Um, so. In, in in Paris, yeah, it's clearly the France Mobility is defining the roadmap, and and we work with them to to do it. But it's clearly them that are making the innovation uh, process on that. Um, on, on this question of ticketing, we innovate more in in other cities. Um, for example, in in Brest, which is uh, in the west of France, in, in Brittany, we're um, testing a connecting ring. That allows you to, to take the, the bus and trams and allows you also to, to pay as a smart card. It's it's a ring you have on the on your ring on your finger. And okay. with that, you just use it as uh, as a card. So it's you know it's it's we're testing this kind of new use case. How can you do the ticketing differently than okay. with a card? Um and it's it's clearly something interesting. Uh we also look at you know um Bebo and technologies like that, but um, clearly it's still tricky in some cases. Uh, the concept is really, really interesting, but uh, 
it's, you have some cases where the, the 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 system is not working exactly as it should do uh, for lots of reasons because at some places you lost a connection or at some point the smartphones reboot for whatever reason or yeah. yeah and the question is how do you manage those cases and that's failure management is is it's really tricky it's really complex so the idea is really good um the when everything works fine it's it's very efficient but when it's not working fine yeah. uh, then you start to have a big uh, an open field of uh how do you deal with those cases yeah. and it's lots of different cases um so that's that that's that's a trick that's a tricky one um the question is uh with 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 the the ukraine crisis we see more and more people and the climate change aspect we see more and more countries going on more you know um not trying to do that trying to say okay let, let's look at germany what what, what germany did yeah. nine euro ticket for everything and so it's it makes people's life so simple so perhaps the on this ticketing subject the solution is, is not a technological solution it's it perhaps a uh, regulation or you know uh, simplicity of use for people it's probably probably that that that's the, the good solution on on biometrics we clearly see that um it, it must be culturally accepted and mm -hmm. and it's illegal in lots at least in europe it's it's totally illegal some of the countries in the world are agreed to do that um but uh yeah they this should be culturally accepted and, and for now on we don't do this kind of thing. Um, we think it, it perhaps not the, the way we would like the society to go on. Yeah. Clearly this, the technology works, but the question is, it's not a question of technology, it's a question of do we want to have that? And some countries will answer yes, and some countries will answer no. And, and yeah, it, it's a question of, whether the countries wants to do it or not, yeah. uh, more than that thing. And today we, uh, the countries we are today, tends not to want to do that. So that so doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make make that much sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with you. It's like uh, uh, like biometric ticketing. There is a lot of buzzword about it, but at the same time, we don't see too much of adoption. So customers are not comfortable. So there are like some Asian country in in Japan in China. Uh, in Moscow also, they implemented uh, the facial recognition, but I didn't see too much of adoption from people because they are not uh, comfortable. But I love your this connected ring concept. I would I would love to see more detail about that and share in the show note because uh, it's interesting. So when you meet somebody, you can exchange ring and give them a public transit card rather than <laughs> rather than giving something else. So it's uh, exchanging wow to to use public transport more and more. Now, follow up to my previous question about ticketing, uh, the other aspect is mass mobility as a service. So it it started as a buzzword couple of uh, year and then there was a lot of hype, uh, but we don't see any major success story. Uh, any, any work RTP or any work you're exploring in mass area and you think it will work or, or you think it will not work like any perspective you have on mass? So, uh, mass is clearly the kind of innovation that gets out of the hype. Uh, like like three years ago, uh, mass was the yeah, everything, doing everything <laughs> including coffee. And what's interesting with innovations that went out of the hype phase that 
then that's the place where you learning the real use cases, you're learning the real value. What does it really brings to people? Yeah. And uh, so we have our mass applications. Uh, it's called Bonjour RATP, and and here it's working here here in Paris. Oh, and cool. we we um, working with uh, Mapi, uh, which one which is one of the uh, uh, French company that was working on the on this kind of subjects for a long time, and um, and so today the application is is live, and you have of course public tra transfers. You also have um, PTC bikes, e-scooters, and um, we made a choice that is um, we want full integration. That is, especially payments and okay. the, the, the the ticketing face uh, because you, you see some of the mass applications around the globe uh you, you have the the availability of bikes for example then you click and then it sends you to another app and you need to okay. create an account and introduce your credit cards element and and you don't do it yeah. and we used to say okay we want to have perhaps less partners but integrated ones and so today you can use it you want you need to you want to have a bike on e-scooter you click and it's done in, in in seconds and you don't have to create a new account and you don't have to do that so today the uh, the application is 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 live and we have very good rates on 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 the on the stores uh we have more and more people using it so it is perhaps a little bit early to get a real conclusion on what the benefits are uh yeah. since it's only a, a, a one year um, okay. But clearly, it's it's very encouraging, and we clearly see that um, uh, that's something promising for for the future and to develop in, in other in other cities uh, in the world. Well, that's great. So it, it uh, it's like you are uh, experimenting with it, and you're getting good response, so which is good. Like if user like it, and and I agree with your point. If if you don't have fully integrated uh, services people will not use it like if you need to go to another app and download it or create a new account add credit card so it's kind of adding multiple steps it you have to make it seamless like click book it and and start using it and all now great to see that you're doing and i would love to know more in coming days uh, how you evaluate and what kind of result you get with this uh, with this uh, mass application and and see how you want to expand um, across the globe uh, in other countries as well. Uh, the other other key innovation we are seeing right now is about this micro mobility. And uh, in fact, uh, Paris is emerging as a hotbed for innovation in micro mobility space. There are many company uh, which are choosing to locate in Paris. And I think the reason is uh, in Paris, you have a high urban density, you have very excellent uh, infrastructure. And then also the you know, the support from the transit operator and authorities is great. Uh, in fact, uh, RATP Capital Innovation invested in electric scooter company, City Scoots. How do you think this micro mobility will reshape our city? Because a lot of people think that they will compete with public transport or they will take away passenger for public transport. And any lesson from RATP experience uh, with uh, micro mobility, how one should work with these new innovation? Um. So the the, the, the micro mobility that is now reshaping our cities is is bike, yeah. Um, and and the COVID crisis just had make a huge acceleration on, on on that, and and we see cities trying to changing the affectation of 
public space for bike mobility and, and especially for bikes. Um, the question of whether it, it's uh, taking people from the public transport depends really on the way this space allocation is done. Uh, if you if you uh, add those micro mobility on bus lines, or uh, if you make them interfere uh, and making reducing the bus speed, for example, then clearly uh, you will have a, a, a bad cycle. You know, you, you re, you're reducing the bus speed, so so bus are not efficient, so people think Shit that it be faster with bikes, so they take bikes, so you have more bikes. So you still read you the more bikes you have you the more and more you're reducing the bus speed and and then you're doomed. Yeah. Um, but if you if you said okay let's let's um, uh, share space uh, in an effective way that is micro mobility need their space and buses need their space and uh, if you if you make them you can make them ally and and not uh, competing with with each other. The, the real competitions we need to 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 face is is. Uh, uh carbonized cars today that's mm. that's uh, the thing that is making pollutions making uh, co2 emissions and taking too many public space for the number of people it's transporting and on that micro mobility and public transport are uh objectives allies and need to work that that that, that way um the, the the limits with micro mobility is it's it's really true in density centers mm. um yeah, even yeah, you mentioned there are lots of companies that are in Paris. Um, the, the very funny thing is, look at how many of them are in the next cities close to Paris. You know, yeah. Paris is a very small cities in terms of um, uh, occupied space. So uh, if you look at all the rest of the uh, Ile-de-France, uh, then you 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 have um, still a very dense area. That is that is Paris plus the first line of suburb, yeah. and and lots of micro mobilities they just stop to Paris, and you need to have them go further, but the further you go, the less density there is, yeah. and 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 the more and more cars you have because people don't have any other choices than doing that. So the micro mobility they they need to be. Uh, you, today, the, the challenge for micromobility and also for public transport is, is to go in those second, third layers of suburbs where today you almost have no other choices than cars and a few trains and to, to create new solutions for that. And on those places, here again, it, it's micromobility and uh, public transport are allies. And it's one of the things we're testing to today. We're testing autonomous mobility in Saint-Rémy-les-Chevreuses. Saint-Rémy-les-Chevreuses is the last station of the train line. In It's very far in the south of Paris. Okay. And on those places, you don't have any other choices than taking a car to go to the station. And we try to, with autonomous vehicles, we try to create new services for that. And, mm -hmm. and here again, you need to create infrastructures to secure the use of micro-mobility so that people can take the bikes to do three kilometers to go to the station to the train station. Yeah. And today, today in those places, if you want to take your bikes, you're in the middle of cars that goes at 70 kilometers per hour. It, it's it's you need to be very sure and, and not be afraid at all <laughs> to take a, car, a bike in those situations. And if you don't, if we don't do if you don't work for those people, 
then clearly we will lose the battle of decarbonizing the mobility. It's it's yeah. the, the the question of micro mobility is not the city centers. It's it's those places where where you just have car and nothing else. Yeah, I mean playing a role of a last mile function because that's how they started uh, that the micro mobility can cover the first and last mile. And you rightly mentioned in a lot of these suburb area, people need to drive. I know in my neighborhood, everybody take their car to the go station and then take a train. But then you have a car just to cover the distance and still you are emitting carbon. And probably if you have a better option, like autonomous vehicle or these micro mobility service everywhere, probably you will not take your car and you can take uh, these scooters uh, to cover three, four kilometer distance uh, easily. Uh, yeah, with the and, and the parking at the train station is full oh, at 8 a.m. It's it's packed, and, and you basically stack cars that don't do anything during all the day. Oh yeah, <laughs> non non optimal at all. We have a five-story uh, car station and uh, parking station, and it's uh, by like you said, eight o'clock. It's packed, and everybody take a train and go. But I mean, probably you don't need that space. You can use that space much efficiently by uh, integrating scooters or or bringing these autonomous fleet. Now, this is my last question. I think we have a lot of interesting point covered so far, but uh, this question is very important uh, because it's very relevant to your experience, which is cybersecurity. You, you work in this area, you studied in this area, so you have expertise in this, uh, in this field. And I would say cybersecurity is emerging as another big challenge for public transport operator, especially after this digitalization wave, because uh, earlier we were not connected that much, but uh, in last four, five years, we are seeing a lot of attacks happening, cyber attacks happening on this, uh, the transit agencies around the world, especially in North America, there are there were some news where the system were hacked. So as an expert in this area, how do you think public transport uh, operator can be ready to face these future cyber threat because I think this will increase. It will not uh, slow down here or uh, or stop here. It will continue to increase. And uh, if you can share some of the good practices followed at RATP Group to make sure the system is secure for any external threats. And uh, when you're working in 14 countries, you can't make it foolproof. But how you make sure that it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it can withhold those kind of attack? Yeah. No one can really say it's ready for cyber. Um, uh, you know, on cyber, the question is not uh, will I be attacked. It, it's it's when. Yeah. And um, uh, so I, I'm not in charge of cyber. I have a colleague that is dealing with that. But uh, clearly, even on the innovation projects, uh, we managed, for example, I mentioned autonomous vehicles. We we had uh, cyber checks on on all the autonomous vehicles we 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 use, and uh, it's clearly one of the on the, on the on the safety model we were looking at this elements uh uh is someone can take con is it possible to take control of the vehicle and on distance yeah. um and uh but other otherwise you, you can have lots of problems on the um ticketing systems or uh, uh or uh, on the uh, uh systems that follow the buses that know where every buses are or on the metro systems so clearly each type of systems you need to have this uh, cyber assessment analysis and 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 response and um, the, in France the, the good thing is that we have a very very good uh, national agency for cyber defense uh, that is supporting uh, companies in order to uh, have the, the you know the good practice how to make them 
in place, how to have a good governance, how do you make people understand the risks, and then what are the good solutions to be able to put in place so that you can reduce that risk and try to um, try to master it. It's yeah. it's you know it's really you need to be really really humble when you're speaking about cyber. It's a very very difficult subject. Um, one of the things which is uh, still very difficult to do is when you're doing the same time uh, safety analysis and a cybersecurity analysis. You know, the safety mm. experts, they tend to look, they have some models, very um, uh, now very classic, very well known, and um, and they use, the, the, they, they, they consider risks with probability. And when you're working on cyber, uh, you usually don't know to quantify the probabilities yeah. and your attacker is adaptive it means if you if you if you close the, the the door it will go through the window uh so that's very difficult to uh, make the two of them work together uh it's something which is still a challenge uh it, it's the same this is true for all industrial activities uh where you have this kind of uh of subjects and uh, that that's that's uh, a, a tough one, but we're clearly working on on it with the help of the of the national authority and uh, and what like like on on buses, what we learn here in Paris, we replicate uh, through the world. Oh, that's great. Uh, no, I agree with you. It's uh, it's very hard to predict uh, when the next attack will be, and it can in there are like even if you close the door there are so many windows are open uh, and when you have so many users you don't know for which system can be vulnerable to these attack and and how to prevent these attack and and it's hard to predict uh, because uh, the way we are connected uh, we don't know uh, what can happen tomorrow and how system will crack now we discuss about transit we discuss about technology and mobility trend and all uh, now it's time to learn a little more about you and uh, to to do that we have this rapid fire question round and generally we ask these five questions it's a short one and uh, we ask our uh, guests to answer them quickly so that we learn about uh, who they are really behind uh, behind their role day-to-day -day job so if you're ready I'll, I'll start these five questions go on okay so my first question is uh, if you were not in the security or transit sector or technology sector what are the profession you would have selected um, I probably would have become a musician. Musician? Yeah, I, I performed a lot when I was young and still trying to do a little bit. At, and one of the things I love is um, making music together with people, uh, not by my own. It's really a question of how you, you can you, you create a group of people and, and you try to produce together something that is better than all each uh, of what each people can can do by itself and probably in future you'll bring some ai feature for the music generation and all <laughs> and, interesting. And it'll be interesting yeah <laughs> now you have traveled around the world you have been to different cities and all which is your favorite city in the world um i i think i will say paris uh, i mean I, I love uh cities like um berlin or uh, vancouver um, but but still, Paris is is pretty great place to to live and work. Yeah, I mean Vancouver is my favorite too, but Paris is my favorite too. I've been there and uh, it's a lovely city. Uh, but now next question can be a little bit tricky. It's like which city has the best transit network in the world? <laughs> um, so for this one, I'm required to say Paris. Uh, no, um, 
um, you know, the, the question is, uh, what, what do you mean by best? Um, uh, yeah. a, a transit network, it should be adapted to the city, uh, to the people that live there. Uh, the best transit network is the network that serve uh, the, the citizens and the city activities. And um, uh, so clearly Paris is, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's not the, the, the only one. London is amazing. Tokyo is amazing. Um, one, one is really impressive for me is uh, Wien uh, in mm. Austria. Uh, okay. It's a smaller city, but they have a really good approach on how to integrate inside of the city. And, uh, and, and perhaps because they're a little bit smaller, they're, they're, they can reduce things faster than what we can do in bigger cities where everything is so complex. So clearly, Wien is a very interesting case. No, I love your answer is saying uh, the best uh, should adopt to the city. In, in some city, probably it can be very simple. Uh, it doesn't need to be having multiple modes and all, but if serving the city and citizen, it's, it's best for people. I, I love your answer. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, which is your favorite startup in the mobility sector? Um, that, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, you, um, I, I would say um, Zen Park. Um, Zen Park. It, it, it's a startup that 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 allows to uh, share your parking space real time, uh, and uh, I mean it's um, it's a so great solution. It's so useful, and and in the same time when you discuss with them, they have a vision of the future of cities, which is amazing. How do we convert all these parkings that we built from years now? We have all these assets. How can we use them uh, to do something different? Mm. Uh, and that, 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 that's almost not a mobility company. You know, they're, they're, their assets are concrete. It, it, yeah. you know, it's parking space. But in the same time, it, it's, they're transforming the way mobility is done in cities uh, from outside of the mobility sector. I, I love that. I love this, the, the ability to go through sectors. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's uh, sometimes there is some of these external innovation have more impact uh, on the sector uh, rather than trying to reinvent something from, from inside. Now, my last question is, if you can change one thing in life, what would it be? Um, if we can reduce the carbon footprint of mobility, yeah that that's you know it's it's 30 percent of what we have today what we uh so if we reduce that at least by two i mean we already made big 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 progress for humanity and earth well, that, that's a great mission and i i think that's what uh, pull you also in this uh, whole transit sector your mission of uh, this climate change and making mobility and uh, people life more efficient. Now, thank you so much, Com. I mean, uh, thank you for sharing all your insight. I really love this thank conversation you. with you and uh, learn a lot from your experience. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We will be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week. You can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility innovators.com. I look forward to see you next time.